0: Welcome in. It's a uh, kind of a special Friday edition of the BCJ podcast. Not often we record on a Friday heading into the weekend. Uh, Hopefully get this up as you're uh, making your commute home or on a bitterly cold Saturday. Maybe you're hanging around the house with nothing to do and you can uh, catch up on all the Bearcat information over the past couple days. Berg was uh, in a cabin in the woods and uh, Dave filled in. I don't know if you saw or not. Dave filled in for you. On Tuesday, we wanted to get something up, and uh, now you're back. You made it safe and sound. You didn't freeze, so welcome (laughs) back, Justin Berg.
1: Thank you, Chad Brendel. Yeah, we had a nice uh, couple days detached from the everyday, and it was nice. Um, Got out in the woods a little bit and had some time together. So yeah, it was good. And I was I was unplugged, so I didn't really know what was happening which was kind of nice, and then came back yesterday. I did see that Simone filled in, and you guys cranked one out a couple days ago. And on the drive back from, we were in Hocking Hills, you know, we had a great couple days, and the wife was in a good mood coming home listening to music, and I just was thinking about this Temple game, the whole drive (laughs) back. I just was not, you know how I get. I, I, I worry about every little thing, just like the coaches would. And you think the Owls are... They've lost three in a row. They're desperate. They have two tough games after the UC game on the road, UCF and SMU. I mean, they had to get that game.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't and, look at their schedule.
1: That's brutal. Yeah. And that's why I thought, I mean, they had to They had to pull out all the stops. And, and so, you know, you know how those games are in, in Philly. It's just for whatever reason, the Bearcats can't make any shots. And I think it probably has a lot to do with the fact that there's just not any flow. It's hard to get any rhythm. Both teams... Have those really long defensive possession numbers as far as the length of time? It just takes a while to find something against the teams know each other so well, and it's just there just wasn't a lot going on. It was early on there was a little flow, but then it really grinded to a halt, and it was hard for both teams to score. So, um, yeah, what you know, what do you want to start in the first half and
0: yeah, move forward in that one? Yeah, the thing with uh, it, this is kind of a, an underrated rivalry in the AAC. Because these teams both generally like they know they're they're almost it's like they're kind of mirror images. But Cincinnati has a little bit more talent right now. Um, when Temple had a talent advantage, they swept the series two years ago uh, when they won the conference. And it's interesting to watch. Like you mentioned, there was a little bit of flow early. It was nine to nine at the first media timeout, 16 to 16 at the second media timeout. And then it just grinded to a halt from there, in part because. That third segment, it felt like Cincinnati turned it over every possession.
1: Right. Both teams were trading turnovers back and forth for a little while there. And then and then your buddy, Obi and Echiona. That's your buddy. I don't, my guy's Shiz Alston. That's my guy. Oh, no. Well, you're the one who said he stinks. And then, of course, he makes a left-handed, ridiculous jump yeah. hook and then a three and I knew that three was in because he already got one to go. I was like, that's in perfectly, and it swished. But either way, you know, Shiz got going, your buddy, and he was hitting some shots, and like you said, UC was turning it over. And it just next thing you know, they're down six, eight points, and you're like, how are they going to score? It's just one, some, they just have those games sometimes where, you know, Kyle Washington, it was the only guy who looked like he could get some buckets, and he gets his second foul.
0: With, I believe, what, what, about eight minutes ago? Yeah, it was, it was right at, I think, the uh, the eight-minute media stop. Which, which was probably about eight minutes later than we all would have predicted. Well, th- <laughs> let's talk about Kyle for a second because, yeah. actually, we talked about flow in those first couple segments. In those first couple segments, Kyle looked, it looked like it was going to be YOLO Kyle where he was just taking every bad shot on the planet. Right. And that's kind of the thing about Kyle is, you get frustrated with him, and and it can be media timeout to media timeout. And, and then all of a sudden, he gets one or two of them to go, and he starts taking those goofy face-up, left-handed, weird, like the one move he had where he had it at the top of the key, tried to make a move, lost the ball, regained it, made another goofy move, and then a, a ball he should have shot with his right hand, he shot with his left, and somehow got it to bounce in. and And it felt like from that point on, Kyle was kind of like, all right, I'm going, let's go.
1: Yeah, he he knocked a three in there before he got his second foul, and and he he kept kept the Bearcats in it, but it was just hard to get any looks, especially for the wing players. I mean, and that goes back to just again, I mean, these teams know each other so well; they know their sets, they they know how the Bearcats are trying to get their guys open and freed and in, in some space, and they just they have a lot of um, you know, good defensive principles, and it was just hard for for Jacob to get anything, Jaron for sure. You know, Jennifer had trouble getting into the paint. He did it a couple times. but And then, and then obviously, they were really keen on Gary Clark, that he double-teaming him and that whole deal. So it just, was, just didn't seem like there was anything available. And then, you know, LaFonso Ellis on the broadcast kept saying that he thought that the Bearcats needed to speed up the pace, and they just weren't able to do it. And um, it just became an ugly one.
0: Yeah, I mean, saying you need to speed up the pace is a lot different than being able to do it. Because I, I thought Temple, they they were really good on the offensive glass, but they were also really good at making sure they had two guys back. Yeah. And, and there just wasn't, you know, I think the the one there was a uh, maybe it was Cumberland that or somebody threw a pass to Kyle over the top of the defense that Kyle converted in the second half. And other than that, they just weren't able to beat Temple down the floor. It. it and that's with Kane. Maybe that's a little bit different. Obviously, Cain Broom out for his second game uh, with a sprained ankle. But maybe with Kane that's a little bit different. And they, they have that extra gear um, for, a, you know, a guy with the ball. And they can get a couple extra baskets. But I just thought, you know, Temple, they were dialed in on their game plan. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. And they did it. And that's in this game, you know, we've seen Cincinnati blitz them a couple times at home. And Temple's done it. A couple, you know, every time Cincinnati walks into that arena, it feels like. And Temple got the game at their tempo. They got the game they wanted. I, I thought, honestly, the for 35 minutes, Cincinnati was soft. Temple got every loose ball. They got every 50-50 ball. They got a ton of offensive rebounds. And it just didn't look like Cincinnati was fully engaged for about 35 minutes. And then, luckily, they were able to hang around just enough. And that's where being that great defensive team can steal you a win like that because Temple got it to eight a couple times but they never got that game to 12 or 14 points if that game gets to 12 it's over
1: yeah and and back to the pace real quick was another part that goes into that is that Temple was offensive rebounding so well that that UC had to just make sure they found a way to get the defense rebound they, they forget running like just find right. a way to get this defensive board and end this possession and then, then get, you know, go up the floor. And, um, I think that was, that was definitely one of the things. The other part obviously is the 13 turnovers in the first half. You, you got to tighten that up. So you can't just be willy nilly trying to push it and force it. I mean, you just have to find a way to get shots at the basket. And then the Bearcats actually were able to get some offensive rebounds and, and hometown boy, uh, Nasir Brooks had four offensive boards on the night. So, it just you – know, that that helped them stay – I don't – I still don't know how UC out-rebounded them 40 to 35. It felt like – I mean, it, it felt temple like about every but... ball. Yeah, I, I don't – I still don't understand how that happened. Um, but, yeah, and and so – but like you just said, it all of the offseason drills and footwork stuff and the, all the scouting and film work and everything, the reason they do all that is because in a game like this when you can't throw it in the ocean – you can grind out and get stops in the last five, seven minutes and give yourself a, a chance. And then a few weird things happen. Like obviously Fran Dunphy in the water bottle, that incident um, gave you see an extra point and, and Kyle Washington hits a big three. I mean, just a couple things happen all of a sudden you got the ball, the game's tied and go ahead and knock down a shot and you win, but you weren't, you wouldn't have that chance. Like you said, if, if, if somehow the Temple had stretched that lead out to 12 or 14, there's no way you're coming back. So that's the that's the reason they do all that, and that saves a lot of games that they would have lost over the years.
0: Well, I mean, you look at they shut down Quentin Rose. Yeah. Um, Alston had a solid game. And that had an okay game. And it, Josh Brown w- was – how did Josh Brown get – what do he have, like six offensive rebounds?
1: Yeah, he had 11 on the a total, I know.
0: And he was all – well, and that's – Playing them is a lot, and um, everybody's favorite guy, Rick Boring, um, and I <laughs> on the Skinny podcast talked about uh, Xavier playing Marquette. And because they shoot so many threes, there's long rebounds, and it's, you're kind of in no man's land. Because if you have position, it goes over your head. And I, I thought Temple just did a really good job finding the ball, where Cincinnati was kind of looking. You know, the, the, yeah, Temple yeah. was definitely the aggressor. For most yeah. of that game.
1: And they had to be. I mean, they, they had no choice but to be. And then, like Mick said afterwards, that Ernest Flackp turns into Shaquille O'Neal whenever they play. And the guy's hitting jump hooks and getting, I mean, every ball near him he's getting. But, yeah, they had to be that aggressive, and they were. And that's what kept them in the game. But, you know, fortunately for Cincinnati, Temple didn't really take it. I mean, they had some decent looks in the second half. From the outside, they missed a lot him, of
0: open threes that really could have yeah. blown that game open.
1: Like, I like we, I mean, after Echenonia and Echinonia hit a couple, I figured he was going to go off for six or seven of them because he got some pretty good looks that he just couldn't knock down. And so, I think you see that's why he's definitely escaped because I think Temple definitely had a chance to push that lead out to double digits and just couldn't make the big shot. So, what about? obviously you know, Jaron Cumberland, he's a sophomore, he's still an underclassman. He's still a young player. He ends up with, with no points last night. And, you know, I think a buddy of mine just called and he was asking about that. And another, another, uh, you know, UC fan I know was was, he said that, you know, ask Chad what he thinks. And, you know, (laughs) I, my response was basically like, you know, Hey, he's a young player and you're going to be inconsistent. And in a game like that, when there was just no flow, no rhythm, you don't, you're not getting consecutive looks at the basket for, it could be seven, eight minutes before you get a, a decent look. Um, and it just, you just don't get into a flow. Next thing you know, you haven't scored. And, and he, he, you know, he did get a bucket late that got waved off on a charge call.
0: A you know, bad charge two, call.
1: Missed two free throws. I mean, he, so there just wasn't a lot for him in that game. And, and, you know, Evans was able to get a couple to go and, other than that, it was tough for the wing players. Trevor Moore, nothing from him or Keith, and I think Jennifer made that early three. But it just wasn't a lot available on the perimeter, and he and and you know, UC wasn't able to get out and run. The one time they did, he had that that hit ahead down the left side where he goes downhill and got fouled. He just didn't convert. But you know, he just one of those nights. That's that's what it looked like to me.
0: Yeah, I, there's two things I think, and and Dave and I talked about this um, on Tuesday. He he is a different player when he knocks down an early three or two. It it just changes the way that he's engaged in the game. Um, He had a couple of those looks in the first half. He missed them, and it just seemed like he never found that rhythm for one. Two, he's been pretty bad on the road. Yeah. Uh, He's a different player away from home. You know, everybody talked about why – You know, where's Jaron in that four-game stretch? Well, three of those games were away from BB&T Arena. And granted, that's not the third arena, but that's their home floor. He just seems much more comfortable at home than he does on the road. When he's on the road, there are just some struggles that make you scratch your head. And, yeah, he's young, but that's something he's got to figure out because, you know, those tournament games coming up in March aren't played at BB&T Arena. Right. So he's got to get that out of his head and start finding some rhythm and some confidence on the road. Cause I think it gets to him. What do you think? Yeah. I mean,
1: it's hard to say. I mean, I think you got to find ways to be effective. If you're not putting the ball in the basket is what I'm sure the coaching staff will tell him. I mean, you need to get, get to the offensive glass and, and get yourself some, some buckets and get yourself going sometimes. And, and you know, Jacob Evans has, has figured that out. We see him sometimes running in there on the weak side and put one back in. And, and I think when that, when, on the road, it's when the pace slows down, so he doesn't get a chance to get in the open floor as much, and that's where he gets a lot of his rhythm, getting those buckets on on the break a lot of times, and and then, yeah, it's just it's it's just a learning process. Again, he's he's still an underclassman. I mean, he he's obviously shown that he's a hell of a player. I mean, we've seen him have incredible games, and and you know at UCLA he was solid. He had five assists and ten points in that game. Yeah, just just couldn't make a free throw, but. You know, obviously his free throw, his free throw shooting is a big concern, especially in a close game. You know, late as we go down the stretch, but yeah, I mean, I just it's part of the growth process. I'm sure is what what coach would say, and and I'm sure you know. I was talking to Cashmere Wright today, and I was saying, you know, Jaron had no points. He's like, yeah. I was like, what about you, your sophomore? Year? He's like, yeah, I probably had a couple games like that. I don't know if I didn't score at all, but it just it just happens, I think. And and so
0: you know, the, the game before against Memphis, he's he's an all-star and then well, you know the, so the two games before this he, he combined for 31 points yeah so it's, it, what, it's, everybody and again like i guess this is a thing just because he's he's from around here that everybody is a little bit harsher on him because if you if you would listen people make it sound like he's having this awful terrible miserable sophomore season now it, it, has he maybe been a little bit underperforming what People expected, yeah, but I don't think it's by nearly as much as the the heat he's taking would say. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I I, I think when you go back to the the tournament in the Caymans against Buffalo, he scores fourteen, uh, but he has seven turnovers and a lot. Of, and you know, I think two or three of those were charges. I think really he has not made the adjustment yet to what teams are trying to do to him. And that's again, that's part of the growth process. The, the scouting report is out on him. And every team, is there's a guy there every time he drives to take that charge. So he has to either find a way to jump stop and shoot an eight-footer or, you know, dish it back out or, or, you know, do something different instead of going off one foot and and, and jumping into the guy. Because no matter if it's a charge or not, if the guy's outside of the circle, it seems like the ref's going to call it every time. So, yeah, I think he show him some film, just keep at it, and – Eventually he'll figure it out. He's a smart player, and I think that as, as time goes on, he'll get back to the form. That, that's that's the way I look at it.
0: I agree. I, I just think he's got a ways to go as a player. I think he's getting there. I think it's a work in progress, obviously, as we're seeing. But uh, I'm not overly concerned with it yet. No. Um, I, mean, I I just think it's like people act like he's playing like yeah. dog crap every game. Now, last night, yeah. last night was not good. But he was critical in them being able to pull away from, from Memphis. So Yeah,
1: and he and and, and UCLA, he was he was yeah. key down the stretch and he's, but, he's he's had his moments.
0: He made the the drive and kick to Washington last night, which was a good um, you know, dribble Washington replaced. Cumberland kicks it back to him for the three that gave him the lead fifty-two fifty. Uh yeah. that was a huge play, and he had he in the final five minutes. He also got a couple big defensive rebounds that, that ended temple possessions.
1: Right. He, so again, yeah, just has to find ways to be effective if the ball is not going in and he's, you know, so he'll learn. Um, how
0: about let's, let's go Jacob. Okay. So he's obviously getting a little bit more comfortable with that mid range pull up that he can get anytime that he wants. Um, and that the, the game winner was a little deeper than I would have, uh, drawn up by a couple <laughs> feet. I'd, I'd maybe like to see him at about 15 instead of 19. Uh, but man, that was a pro shot that if you take a look at that shot closely, his hips aren't aligned. His right foot is swinging into the shot um, off balance because of the way he was doing the going between his legs and then going to his right. Uh, your right takes a little bit of time to catch up in that scenario. And he just rose up and stuck it cold bottom of the net. Uh, It was it was a a pro NBA looking shot.
1: Yeah, I think you're right on that. And and I think maybe just because the smaller guy, small, quicker guy was on him and he wasn't able to get closer in. He just figured he had the ball at the top of the key and he just needed to find a way to get one dribble where he could get his momentum going towards the basket. And it took him five between the legs dribbles, a little hesitation then that one dribble to the right, and he had his space. And he just rose up and let it fly. And you so remember when he drops his hands down right after he shoots it, he feels like it's it's going in, like the, the Marshall shot last year. So, yeah, definitely NBA style right there. And that's what you need. You need guys. There's going to be games. that You saw it with, with Oregon in the tournament last year with Dylan Brooks. You need guys that can hit shots. And I forget who the other guy was that was, that was hitting them too. But – and and that's what they got with Jacob Evans, and and Mick said before the season that that's what they were going to look for out of him is when they you know late in the game put the ball in his hands, and and you know, as far as him running the point guard spot, that's going to help him moving forward, and, and especially at the next level, if you can add any anything you can add to your game that uh, teams are going to want from you, then all the better. So, you know, what do you think about his his chances? I, Remember, we we looked at him last year thinking, like, is he going to stay all four years? And I don't think he had the kind of season last year that we were too worried. But, you know, what are you hearing from your sources
0: now? Well, I think the interesting thing with Jake is um, I would I I can't imagine he doesn't test the waters because there's no penalty. You can test the waters. You can work out and you can come back to school if you don't hear what you want to hear. Right. What what is concerning me a little bit now on that, and then I use concern in uh, you know, not in a in a terrible way, but in terms of you know what the team looks like going forward. Um, he's a guy. If you've been around Jake and and you know what Jake has put on tape and you know what type of kid he is, he's going to go into. I'd imagine all of those teams at the back end of the first round are going to have him in because he's low maintenance. He's a great kid. He's skilled. He's six, six. He's a crazy athlete. He's tough. He defends. He checks off all those boxes of what a team like golden state, or he was, he was selected uh, in a mock 27th to Boston. Like you sit Jacob Evans down with Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens going to walk out of there going I think this kid can help us, and and, and that's I, that's where my fear is as he gets into those and somebody at you know twenty eight to twenty seven twenty five you know to thirty says here's your guarantee yeah we're going to take you if you if you make it to us because that's how those te- like look at I as I mentioned this on the board the other day I'm friends with a guy that. Uh, used to be, and this won't be hard to figure out if you put the pieces together. He used to be in the, the high school recruiting business, and he was hired a couple years back as a Warriors scout. Um, he was at UC on Sunday for the Memphis game, and he was talking about made the analogy. They're different players, but made the analogy from Jake to uh, Jordan Bell. You know, he's a low maintenance guy. He's gonna come in. He's gonna do his job. You're not gonna, you're not gonna have to have, you're not gonna have to wait for him to grow up. Um, you're not going to have to babysit him and he's going to be able to come in and make plays and help you early in his career off the bench as a three and D guy. And I think that's how teams like that continue to win is because instead of going, you know, early in the draft teams, maybe not in the top five or 10, but when you start getting in that middle teams are going on potential and those are the teams that stay in the middle. They never make it to the top because they're drafting on potential. They're not drafting on this is a guy that can help us right now. Some of that is because their roster allows it. When you're one of the elite teams, you you don't you don't need to draft. You know, if you're Golden State, you don't need to draft a starter. Your starting lineup is set for the for the long term. But if you can get a guy off the bench that can come in, bang some threes, you know, play in your system defensively and, and adapt to that system easily and, and you don't have to spend a lot of time, you know, getting him up to speed with the rest of the guys, that's an ideal guy, and Jacob Evans checks all of those boxes.
1: Yeah, he, exactly. checks them all, and then the over 40% from three last year and this year. Right. Is, is, is that, that's what scouts are looking I mean, that's what teams are looking for. With the new NBA, there's so many three-point attempts that anyone that can defend – and shoot threes, whether it's protect the rim, defend, or just be versatile, especially at 6'6", like Jacob is. I mean, Jacob can even protect the rim at times. So, I mean, he definitely seems like he's the best pro prospect on the roster. By far. Yeah. So, I guess it's just, a, like you said, he'll test the water, so he'll, he'll do some workouts, and he'll see what uh, what happens. And, and it'll probably it'll probably come down to that, like if a team says – you're a first-round pick, and you'll have a guaranteed contract. I mean, how do you tell him to stay in school at that point?
0: You can't. If, if I mean, if you're up, and and you know, I think the thing with Jacob, because he's not an alpha, he's he's probably not looking at a situation where he's going to see himself jump up into the top fifteen with another year. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It, especially because he's not. He, he's not he just doesn't quite have that ceiling i don't think as as some of these guys that end up in that top 15 which are mostly the one and duns or the foreign guys
0: right and but what he does have is the ability to help a really good team early in his career uh, without a lot of pressure on him so right. uh, that's just kind of my you know in, in talking to my scout uh, scout friend from the warriors he he kind of confirmed the things that i was thinking about him um, i know he was impressed that with kane out he was able to slide over to point guard. Now, that's, you know, it's not something he's going to play in the NBA. But it does show the ability for him to be a secondary ball handler uh, when necessary. It shows that he's a little bit more versatile. Uh, I think the thing that he was impressed most with him uh, from specifically the Memphis game was his passing. Because he passed it really well that day. Um, but, yeah, he's, I mean, he's got guys coming. NBA's yeah. to be at pretty much all of these games from here on out. And, and taking a longer, harder look at him, and if he keeps playing like he's playing, I'm just convinced that once he gets into that process and starts making trips and starts interviewing with GMs and starts interviewing with that that teams at the back end of the draft are going to be really impressed. So
1: yeah, and and one final thing on him with 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 all that is his his when you learn how to play defense like Cincinnati teaches, and you know. NBA teams know that, yeah, you can have as much offense as you want, but you need guys that that have defensive principles, and those are the ones that usually sustain careers, unless they're just crazy scores. And but even those guys are mostly play bit parts. But the teams like the Spurs and even the Warriors, I mean, they defend, and that's how they that's how they go deep, no matter how good a scores they have. So the fact that he's a two way player, you know, bodes even, you know, definitely bodes well for him. So
0: that's one of the great untalked about things of this this Golden State kind of run. They've been top three in the NBA in defense every year. Nobody yeah, talks yeah. about it. You'll hear yeah. it mentioned in passing here and there, but they are an elite defensive team. And that's why Jordan Bell fit for them perfectly. Jordan Bell's an elite defensive player that's showing that he's got offense, uh, right. now that he's with them. And and I I think Jake is in a similar light. Like I could see Houston, I could yeah. see San Antonio. I could Ooh. see, I could see Golden State. I could see Boston. I, I just, if there's a winner at the end of the first round, that that falls in love with them.
1: Yeah, he's gone. I mean, he has to. Go. He has to go.
0: Yeah. So, so I, I know that's going to put a lot of people in panic, but yeah. it's being talked about, and that I, I just, that's my take on the situation.
1: Yeah. And again, if 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 he gets to that level, it would probably be in part because UC has a. Really special season, and he gets on the big stage and and does some things like he did last night. So that I mean that that'll be good for for the fans. Yeah. And so so all right. So we got we got Jake or Jaron and Jacob. The third guy I want to talk about talk about is you know before the season, one of the things I was looking at was how many minutes that was Nasir Brooks going to take from Kyle Washington because of the defensive. Deficiencies that Kyle had showed last year, and obviously in his career, <clears throat> and and leading up to the Xavier game. The Xavier game obviously was his low point. Um, doesn't score, he gets beat down low quite a bit. And I know the message board went crazy with what do you do at the five spot? Kyle's not the guy. You take, you bring him off the bench. You know all these all these theories were were abound, and. All the guy has done since then is, is produce offensively, battle defensively, and, and be a leader and, and keep the team, keep the energy up. And I feel like in this winning streak here from the Mississippi State game until last night, I mean, you can make the argument that he's been the most important piece.
0: Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you kind of threw me off. You were talking about Nyseer and then you took a left turn. Oh,
1: Oh, I didn't, I didn't mention his name in the middle of that. That was such a great, that was such a great setup. And I didn't even say, I thought I I said how many minutes Nasir Brooks was going to take from him. So Uh, I thought maybe that, that had, I thought that, that was the the lead in for you, but, but yeah, I mean, he, he, yeah, but anyway, so yeah. So like I said, he's, he, I mean, he's a big factor on, and, and like Mick said, we're, you know, we're pretty good. The record's pretty good with with him in a Bearcat uniform. Thirty and six last year, and uh, is it thirteen and two or twelve and two now?
0: Uh, so. thir- 50, uh fifteen yeah. games so far. Thirteen and. Two. Okay.
1: Yeah. So forty three and eight with Kyle Washington in the red and black.
0: Yeah, I mean he he yesterday. I mean he carried them, especially in the second half. Like that was the Kyle Washington show until Jacob hit that three, um, or hit the the two to win the game. Um. Yeah, he, he's been – his effort defensively has been much better this year. Um, he's still never going to be a great defender. He still at times uh, gives up post position that's too deep. Uh, you saw that with uh, Affleck, uh yesterday. A couple, of, a couple of his baskets were because he got the ball four feet from the rim. Um, and that's – Kyle's got to improve there. Still, I mean, I don't know that it's going to happen with a Cincinnati uniform on, but he's just such a a polarizing guy because when he's cold, he's ice cold. But when he's got it going, he can impact the game probably more than anybody else on the floor. Right. And we saw that last night. I mean, if he doesn't get it going in the second half, Temple pulls away and, and and again gets it to that 12 to 14 point range where there's no coming back from. So, yeah, I mean, it, he's been it's been a, a great addition via the transfer route. It's had its ups and downs, but he's settling in as a senior. I, I think that urgency for him is there. Um, you know, you got to be happy for the kid because, you know, he works hard. He's got. He's got his, you know, like I said, he's got his ups and downs. He's got his things that he has to work through. But at the end of the day, he's going to give you great effort. And offensively, there's just not many guys like him in the – there's not anybody like him in the country offensively. No,
1: no. But but like you said, defensively is really what's impressed me. And I asked I asked Mick about that at media the other day. And, you know, he said, he like you said, he's given the effort – and I said, Does it look like he's walling up? He said, Oh yeah, he's he's holding his ground better this year. We we saw that we were standing underneath the or sitting underneath the basket against Memphis, and you know, that big six hundred six nine, two hundred and seventy-pound dude was like just trying to bowl into him, and he was he was keeping his hands up and just trying to play him off his chest. And he's start you're starting to see some of those fundamentals where you're using your lower body a little more than your hands. You know, using your chest to play the guy off instead of trying to use your arm or you know, your, your elbows or your, your forearm, whatever it is. Like, he, And Mick said it's baby steps. It's like when you have bad habits defensively and you're not quite uh, adept at playing physical, then it takes time. But like you said, the sense of urgency, he's probably just like, you know what? I don't have a choice. I got to help my team. And he's focusing on the defensive end. He's rebounding better. He's, he's competing um in the in the trenches and that and that's really been the most important thing um the most impressive thing to me i mean the scoring obviously is is huge and especially against ucla but but that not only did he have a big offensive game against them but he really competed against welsh and made it tough on him and that's that's what takes this team to another level is if you get the the two-way play from him again the defense isn't gonna wow anybody but if, if he's um proficient on the defensive end and and he actually can you can keep him on the floor longer that gives the offense a better chance on over 40 minutes to score enough points but it's just been it's you know that again that was a guy that before the season everybody had their doubts about about him and it was mostly because of that and he really hasn't gotten in a ton of foul trouble either I mean last night was standing he, he, he's been he's been pretty solid I mean other than the Xavier game you know he's he's been very important and and so we'll see you know how that if that continues, but um, I mean, he's, he's now it's like, you know, Nasir is just, if somebody's in foul trouble, or you give him a couple of minutes here and there, I was thinking that the way that Nasir was playing last year before it hurt his knee, that I thought he was going to come in and get 15, 20 minutes a game and take a bunch of his minutes. But so far it hasn't happened.
0: Last night, if we're being honest, I, I was more comfortable when Ellie was on the floor at times. I know he didn't see a lot of time, but when he was out there, the way he moves, the way he is such a menace defensively, and the way he hits the glass—that um, that battle is going to be interesting when we get to next year uh, yeah. between Ellie and Brooks. I, I'm really interested to see uh, how exactly that plays out. Let's—I uh, think that's that about wraps up last night, does it not?
1: I believe it does.
0: Let's uh, let's talk about the other game last. Well, there's two games last night in the AAC that were of. Uh, Quite a bit of importance near the top of the league. Uh, it, it's pretty well uh, well believed that SMU, Cincinnati, and Wichita State are the three top teams in the league. Um, SMU made Houston look like... W- Wichita, you mean? Or, yeah, Wichita made Houston look like Grambling State. Yeah. I mean, they just beat the dog crap out of them from the opening tip to the final buzzer about as bad as I've seen, you know, what's supposed to be a decent, you know, tournament type team or team that want, you know, wants to compete for a tournament bid. Uh, They just beat them to death. It was unbelievable uh, watching Wichita State play it. That's one of those, you know, they say you, you have five games at your best, five games at your worst. And what you do with the 20 games in the middle determines your season. I can't imagine they're going to play a better game than what we saw them play last night. Holy cow. Yeah.
1: And Houston play a worse game. But to me, it looked like Wichita just got going and was hitting threes left and right. And, and before Houston knew what hit them, they were down 15, 20 points and, and uh, Wichita just had, had it going. I mean, they just had an incredible rhythm and, you know, Houston, Houston's a little better defensively. Like they're getting better each year, but I think when you get barrage like that on the road, it happens to the best of the teams. Next thing you know, you're just out of it. And the other team has all the confidence in the world. And then guys who usually don't make stuff start making it. And like Shaq Morris is hitting threes and it's just, all right, this game, let's just get this game out of here and
0: move on. The interesting thing with Wichita for me, there's been a lot of like hype about their first their first AAC game against UConn on the road and this was their first home game in the AAC. Like, there's a lot of emotion and, and energy that they've got invested in this, uh, being you know trying to be a an integral part of this league. Now, I wonder what happens when some of that that excitement wears off. Okay. And yeah, you settle I didn't, I didn't. in. Yeah, you settle into early February. You know, and and now you're actually experiencing that. Um, dog days feeling instead of that, you know, I'm fired up. I'm you know, this is exciting type deal. And as good as they were against Houston, let's not forget, they really struggled with Yukon over the weekend. So it's, it's interesting. There's such an interesting case for me because I know they're really good. It's just, putting your finger on how good is uh, hasn't been an easy task.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think we talked about it the last time on the podcast is they have SMU, Houston, and UCF all in a row here coming up in a couple weeks. So two of those are at home, though, SMU and UCF. But, um, you know, that'll be a good stretch to see if they can handle those teams or not. Um, But, yeah, I mean, they they look incredible. I mean, they look deep. Their guard play, uh, if you you look at your buddy Larry Shamit,
0: and, good old Larry and, and Connor
1: Francamp is really tough to deal with. He's forty
0: three years old.
1: God, he just he's so hard to defend. I mean, he's like so smart. It seems like he knows what the defender's going to do every time and just counters it. And um, and then it looked like McDuffie started getting going a little bit. So if he gets back in the flow, those three right there, and then you throw in they got Shaq Morris, they got a couple other big guys like is it Rashard Kelly, I and mean, they got yeah. good offensive rebounders. Um, they got a, a foreign kid that's pretty big that can shoot. like they got a lot to deal with, a lot to prepare for. So they they look like the best team if you add it all up. Of course, we'll see when Cincinnati battles them, but I mean, yeah, they, they're they look tough. I don't know about your theory of, of whether the excitement wears off, but again, that three game stretch'll we'll, we'll probably know a little bit more.
0: Well, I, the, the thing that I hate from a Cincinnati standpoint, of course, Cincinnati has to go in there on senior day, last day of the regular season. And, like, every kid on that roster is a senior.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what I do like, though, is that, you know, that'll be, that'll be as tough as possible of a game. Like You want UC to play the toughest possible games that they can play to prepare them for the postseason. Yeah. And, like, last night was one. And now you got SMU coming off a loss on Sunday. So they're going to be even more hyped up and, and more focused. I mean, and that's good. I mean, you want to, I mean, when you're in a lesser league, like you need the stakes to be higher in some of these games. You need teams to be playing at a higher level just to test you and, and, and you know, get your chops looking forward.
0: It really is remarkable. Every team Cincinnati plays loses right before they play.
1: Yeah, so either they all suck or it's just bad luck for you to see.
0: It's unbelievable. <laughs> and SMU was rolling. looked great. And then they go to Tulane and lose 73-70. to 70 right before the game, before they play Cincinnati.
1: Well, that's again, that's a, that's a trap game. I mean, you look at, cause I looked at UC schedule. They go to Tulane right before they go to Wichita. There's a trap game there. And SMU had to experience it now. Cause they were looking potentially looking ahead, especially when you, you play a nice first half and you got about a nine point lead. You're thinking, all right, let's just get the second half over with. And we got Cincinnati on Sunday on the road. And uh, next thing you know, Tulane just put it on them and started hitting shots. And, And playing with pace and attacking and they made they must have made three or four threes in a row over a nice run where they took the lead and they got some
0: man they got a good team Frazier, frazier and reynolds are both really good really good yeah
1: yeah and they have they have other pieces that i didn't know about coming into this year um and like samir Shehich, um tough big guy i mean they got Daniel's on the wing I don't even know his first name but he looks tough I mean they got they just play with pace and energy I mean they were at home of course but um, I thought that that was the difference and especially they did it against Temple too where they were able to get up and down and they they, from two-point range they were like off the charts in both those games but but what about SMU I mean what does that say that was it just a trap game and they're still as good as they've been? It's just one of those nights that Tulane got going and they just couldn't catch up or or, are they not as good as we thought?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like we, we talked about our concerns with them and you, you, at that point you have to give them credit because they didn't show the things that we were worried about yet, but still those concerns don't just magically go away. You know, like, Replacing those guys at the end of—replacing uh, Sterling Brown and, and uh, Ben Moore, uh, that's not easy. It's not an easy task. And, and then you take out their best player, and Semi Ojale. And, and that—when you get into those type of games, you know, Tulane starts coming back. Well, last year you had three guys that when Tulane started coming back, one or two of them was going to step up and say— we're not letting this happen. And they're right. going to get out of there with a 72-70 win or 70, 74-73 win. Well, last night they didn't have that. And and when they got punched, they weren't able to to withstand it. And that's, I think, well, what surprised us is we weren't in more of those situations earlier. Yeah. Because well, they, t- they've won comfortably most of their games.
1: Right. Well, I'll tell you this, though, and, I, you know, they had one of their key players was out with an illness last night, Ethan Shagwa. And he's a freshman, 6'9. Yeah, the big guy.
0: He's,
1: he's a shot blocker. He's a he's a 40 plus percent three-point shooter. He's a 61% two-point shooter. Uh, he's a rebounder. He's 6'9. So that you take him out of the equation, that severely hampers them on both ends of the floor. Yeah. They had to play a lot of that matchup zone. So I mean, that would – so I would I mean I would I would definitely I mean, you give Tulane credit. I mean, they're much improved. I don't know that SMU is when you're not that deep and you take away a six-nine kid who can shoot threes and protect the rim. I mean, it, you know, that that it's that explains loss. it. That yeah. explains it as far as I can see. Um, and again, with the the trap game scenario and they just having the lead at halftime, they just wanted to get it over with and get to Cincinnati and and Tulane just happened to get hot and uh, and pulled ahead and SMU just couldn't figure it out at the end. So I, I mean, that's really the story is because I. Once I went back and watched, I was like, wait, where was Shagwa? I didn't see him. And then I just looked and saw he had an illness. So I don't know if he'll be ready for, for Sunday or not, but he definitely missed that game.
0: That would be big if they're lacking any big men against yeah, the Bearcats. So yeah, that's we want, yeah.
1: we need them at full strength, though. We want to play every team at full strength. Coming off a loss, I don't care. want the Bearcats to play the toughest possible schedule going into this, uh, you know, going down the stretch. That's, that's the only thing that's going to make you better.
0: Dave and I previewed SMU a little bit, so I don't think we need to uh, to get too deep into it. Yeah. Um, on Tuesday, we went over it, so if you want, that podcast is on the board, uh, or you can check the uh, the SoundCloud account. It's in there. But um, big game. I mean, a chance to start for Cincinnati. A chance to start 3-0. and And, uh, yeah, you've got a, a trip to South Florida and UCF coming up. Uh, South Florida is miserable, so... You know, you're not worried about that one too much. Um, but We're just being... worried about watching that one. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but, yeah,
1: it it would be nice to, to get to, to start 3-0 and, and then SMU ends up with two losses. Yeah. But it, to me, I you know, I was just looking at their, their games, especially their losses, and, and Ben Ameligou in their four losses only, has, only had three threes total and seven points per game, and... He's a guy who's second in the country in three-point percentage at over 60%. So I'd say that close to the top of the scouting report for the Cincinnati coaching staff would be to, to put the clamps on Ben Ameligou. That would be the first thing I saw. And then it, to me, it looked like Tulane, they play with a little pace. Same with TCU, who scored 94 on SMU. So, you know, UC will be at home if they can get Kane Brun back, try to get the ball up and down, because as we've seen against SMU – it's hard to get against the, hard to get into the paint against them when you're in the half court set especially off the dribble because they're just so they just switch and they they move their feet and they're smaller and all that so if you can get some pace going maybe you can move the defense a little and get some better looks so that's that seemed to be what Tulane was able to do to them last night
0: i'll take your word for it you went back I, I i was flipping back and forth a little bit during the uc game but as things got close i uh I stayed with the Bearcats, and uh, you, uh, you went back as a, as a good scout does, and you watched <laughs> that second half today to get your uh, bearings on SMU. We will have the, uh, the SMU scout coming up for you guys, what, probably tomorrow, Bird?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work on it some today, and I'll finalize it probably tomorrow morning, so I'll get it for you.
0: Any other AAC thoughts? Uh, I think we're starting to see, depending on Sunday – if Cincinnati wins that game Sunday, there's se- definite separation between Cincinnati and Wichita State, and then a step down to SMU, and then a step down to that window of Houston, UCF, UCF yeah. and maybe now Tulane instead of Temple?
1: Hey, man. I mean, they like you said, they got some players, they got some confidence now, and sometimes... Teams that have better offensive flows and push the ball and stuff—that that's going to bode well in the in the in a league where there's a lot of rock fights. And if you if they can score the ball, that'll afford them well. So yeah, I would put. I mean, I don't think you beat SMU, even though they didn't have Shagwa. You win at Temple handily. I think you got to put them up there.
0: I mean, yeah, that beating Temple at Temple—that kind of gives you the edge over Temple. You would think, right? <laughs> yeah, I would think so. All right, man. Well, I will. Uh, I will see you Sunday at BB&T Arena, 6 p.m. Tip off. It should be a big game for the Bearcats. I believe that one. It's sold out, except for uh, there are some general admission tickets in the student section because I don't think the students come back fully until Monday.
1: Okay. Well, so, either yeah, it should be sold out though, right?
0: Yeah, it's sold out, but there there are some general admission tickets that went on sale. Okay. Uh, in the student section because the students haven't claimed all their tickets because of the gotcha. because of the holidays. So yeah. uh, I believe if you if you want tickets you can get those. Um, however, it is to eight uh, seven seven cats ticks or uh, or get yeah. them online and uh, get there. It should be a very good one. It's and the best uh, rivalry in the
1: AAC as far uh, at least to this point for the last few years, right? I mean, it's got to be Cincinnati SMU.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it a lot of was, great, a lot of
1: tough games and battles.
0: It was UC UConn until UConn fell off a fell off a cliff. Yeah, and with UConn kind of out of the way, yeah, you'd have to say it's UC SMU. I think you'll see a triangle kind of develop between UC SMU and uh, Wichita State going forward. Um, but right now, yeah, that's kind of the the premier deal. Uh, we get it, you know, early February this year for the first time. So we'll see where they come out, and, and if the Bearcats can start 3-0 and and stand a chance to, to go on a nice little run through January, then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have a lot of positive things to talk about when we come back next week.
1: Yes, sir. We'll see you Sunday.
0: All right, man. See you then. I'm Chad Brendo. He's Justin Berg. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.